The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Archaeology is often viewed as a fascinating, eclectic, yet ultimately quaint pursuit. This program explores archaeology from the perspective of professionals who demonstrate that in the 21st century, archaeology and its sub-disciplines may hold the key, not only to our past, but to our present and future. Welcome to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, with your host, Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein. Good evening, everyone. This is Joe Schuldenrein with another episode of Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. One of the topics that we have not paid extremely close attention to over the past uh, year, really, is the amazing nature and uh, amount of archaeological research that has gone on in Turkey, which of course is the bridge between Europe and Asia. Turkey has occupied a very significant position in archaeological research and in world heritage and tourism for a very, very long time. And one of the main components of the more recent research is some very, very interesting theories about the evolution of the Black Sea and how it relates to a variety of archaeological phenomena. Uh, My guest today is um, Dr. Owen Doonan, who is doing a very integrated and very uh, admirable job in integrating various components of archaeology, both the research aspect and, as we've talked about in previous episode, also involving a tremendous measure of instruction and public outreach, which, as we have argued and and contended over the course of several of our programs, is a direction that archaeology can and must take in the near future. Uh, Dr. Noonan is a professor at uh, California State University, Northridge, and he is a professor in art history and also serves on the anthropology, classical civilizations, and Middle Eastern studies groups at uh, California State. He has um, organized the Synop Project as well as uh, geared a lot of his efforts towards promoting student participation in research as a means of engage- as a means of engaging students and empowering them as well he has been active in the archaeological institute of america serving as a vice president and president of the los angeles county society and as the chair of the eastern european eurasia interest group. He has published a monograph called Sinope Landscapes Exploring Connection in the Hinterland of a Black Sea Port. And I'm very pleased to welcome um, Dr. Doonan to the program. Thank you so much for participating. 
Well, thank you so much for having me tonight. This is really exciting. I'm we're, we're, we're thrilled to have you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the nature of your project first? Well, our project uh, has a has quite a quite a long history. In fact, going back nearly twenty years, we've uh, we started out uh, a group of uh, archaeologists uh, collaborating together with the well-known uh, explorer and oceanographer uh, Robert Ballard. Uh, Ballard was uh, interested in working on a uh, on a Black Sea uh, underwater survey project and developing some exciting new tools to do that and and our team was uh, interested in doing the land work that would contextualize the underwater research and so uh, back in the mid 90s we we started out uh, uh, working uh, like that uh, as a as a land sea project uh, Dr. Ballard continued for several years, but uh, he's uh, he's uh, moved on to do some other really exciting projects in other parts of the Black Sea and in the Mediterranean. Um, but uh, our project was really um, uh, uh, getting good results. What we were trying to study was uh, where people lived and what what kind of uh, uh, what, what kind of settlements they were living in uh, from about seven thousand years ago up to the present. Uh, in a part of the Black Sea where there had been almost no research of this type, so so we uh, we do what we call a systematic survey, where we uh, we map out uh, where sites exist and where they don't exist. Uh, we we do it in such a way that we can confidently uh, record not only the presence of sites uh, but also. Uh, where we where we feel we uh, can also have a reasonable amount of confidence that where there's little or no evidence that 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 there wasn't much uh, going on in the past in in those places, and that research uh, lets us uh, make general uh, observations and statements about uh, about where people preferred to live and and, and uh, you know demography, how many people were living in different places at different times, and and so forth. One of the uh, interesting and probably one of the most fascinating elements of that part of the world in which you're working is that, of course, these are water bodies and there are stream and, of course, the Mediterranean system that have changed in balance over the years. And I think many of the people who follow the program are probably aware that some of the theories on the evolution of the Black Sea have uh, really sort of been upended in the past 10, 15 years. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and how it affects the nature of your archaeological research? Well, certainly uh, we do have, um, uh, we do work in a place with an extraordinary dynamism uh, over the past 10,000 years. At some point, and there, there are still many different interpretations about the process uh, and the timing. At some point, the Black Sea was filled in by melting glaciers uh, towards the end of the Ice Age and, um, uh, and, and a very dramatic infilling, some five or 600 feet uh, worth of water uh, pouring in. Uh, again, there, there's a lot of different interpretations about exactly how that happened. Uh, and so it's, uh, I, I, you know, I, pardon the pun, I'm not sure I want to wade into that 
uh, into that discussion right now. But um, but for us, it's very interesting because uh, one of the things that probably happened as a result of the infilling of the Black Sea is that the early settlements, which almost certainly would have been along the coast, uh, are pretty much missing. And uh, so far, you know, anything before about 6000 BC is really, really uh, hard to identify. There are only a couple of places here and there where, where any evidence uh, in our part of the region uh, can be found for, uh, for settlement before about 6000 BC. So that, that has caused a great challenge. The other thing is that once the waters did fill in, um, this has caused the Black Sea to be quite a dynamic coastline, uh, sort of bouncing up and down with the weight of all that water. And so you've got this, uh, you, you've got the sea level changes on, on a smaller scale that, uh, uh, that, that oscillate between uh, these, uh, these transgressions and recessions uh, in the matter of hundreds and thousands or thousands of years. Uh, uh, and so that that uh, certainly adds uh, a certain amount of um, uh, a certain challenge to our to our, our process. I, I think really that's one of the more interesting elements of that uh, particular area: the changing balance between freshwater and saline water associated mm-hmm. with uh, obviously the mar- marine transgressions. But getting back into your area of expertise, I think one of the really fascinating elements of that is your ability to actually put together a research project that also has a significant uh, col- uh, outreach component. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well. You know, we've been working here in this area for some 20 years, and in fact, my my introduction to Turkey uh, was uh, before that. I I actually spent several years teaching at a Turkish university called Bilkent University. It's in Ankara, and uh, and so my years at Bilkent. Uh, I, I really developed a special relationship with with Turkish students and Turkish colleagues, and so from the very beginning of our of our field work, we we knew we were there for a good long run, and uh, my goal was to engage to a, as great an extent as possible, not only the American students that I could bring from whichever institutions I'm, I, I was working at in the States, but also to, to bring them together with Turkish students and to create real exciting opportunities for each. And so uh, from the start, our interest has been to really prioritize uh, mentorship and education. Uh, I'm also quite interested in uh, having archaeology as a as an experience that's not only for training professional archaeologists, but it's for uh, creating these opportunities for cultural contact, for uh, for for understanding the world, for for students in in various different fields to have professional experiences. So I invite uh, filmmakers out to help uh, us work on uh, on films or I, I invite uh, journalism students out to to write blogs or practice uh, interviewing the community or anthropologists to 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 work with uh, people in the villages and uh, and and other fields so so really I my my goal is to uh, to leverage this project to create as wide an array of exciting 
and even life-changing experiences for, for young people uh, as possible. I, I think that that's really probably one of the, the most significant uh, ventures that um, any archaeologist in this day and age can take part in. And I'm just curious, in terms of the research program that you're doing, how are you making the contact with the public? How do you uh, develop programs that are more instructional, shall we say, than research-oriented? Or how do you blend them together? And and uh, since you're working in, in Turkey, how does that have a particular impact on the local community? Mm, okay. Well, uh Back uh, both in Turkey and in the United States, I'm I'm really uh, involved in public presentations and not only at professional conferences and and so forth. Every uh, every summer, I give a talk, uh, at least one talk in uh, a public venue, uh, normally a, a cafe or or the library garden or something like that for the for the entire community of Sinop. Uh, sometimes a couple hundred people come, and I present our new results. And uh, there's a question and answer period, and so forth. And that's that's all done in Turkish, so that uh, that's quite exciting for them because they they get to to hear about their uh, the results from the the villages and places they know, uh, uh-huh. and, uh, and and they see that a, a foreign professor is uh, is excited by these things. Uh, coming back to the states, I, I also think it's important to to give lectures in 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 public and to to bring it to schools. I I, I do at least a dozen school lectures in the LA area a, a year. Uh, I also teach in some adult education programs to try to bring uh, bring our results to um, uh, to to a lot of interested non specialists in the community. I I think it's important to. Uh, to to be able to uh, bring what we do with the support of the community back to the community. That's that's great. Uh, I think that um, it's it's probably a very challenging type of operation. I mean, you're you're basically communicating. Are you commute? Well, let me ask you: Are you communicating different messages to the? individual audiences that you're picking up i mean uh, obviously when you're uh, speaking to the turkish group they are interested in in different elements of this or and uh, the students probably as well so how does that sort out and and what are you finding for example that uh, in terms of the impact that the project is making in the turkish in the sinop community Okay, well, yeah, I'll start. I'll start focusing on the Sinop community over there. Uh, when I give presentations uh, over in Sinop, a lot of the time uh, I'm I'm talking about places uh, where even though people might live in the in the little town of Sinop, uh, you know, they have they have family who live in these villages and uh, and small places. Uh, there there are a lot of uh, a lot of people who have a, a, a very uh, deep and uh, abiding interest in, in local history. Uh, there's a great deal of pride in the history of the town. And so uh, whenever, I, uh, whenever I give a talk, uh, just the, uh, the historical results that I bring to them actually uh, generate quite a bit of energy and interest. Uh, then the second thing is, of course, that uh, uh, 
I'm since I'm doing a survey, which is a kind of archaeology which doesn't generate lots and lots of gorgeous objects. Uh, I of course have to communicate uh, in in a more of a historical story than uh, through beautiful finds, and that. Um, that that is a bit challenging, particularly for the general public. Uh, the students uh, uh, seem to uh, seem to pick up on it uh, uh, more quickly because they're more attuned to that. But uh, but you know, it, really, I think the the genuine interest that local people have in their local history uh, is, uh, is is what I that energy is what I feed off of uh, as I give these public lectures over there in Turkey. And we will be back with our very special guest, Dr. Owen Doonan from Cal State Northridge, after these words. Stay tuned. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Voice America Network proudly presents The Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. Women can live their lives to the fullest and realize their dreams for growth and greatness. Georgine Summers knows. As host of On the Edge, Georgine will give you powerful tools and rules to help you change direction in your life and get rid of the fears that stop you from living your dreams. Stretch your boundaries and become the amazing person you've always wanted to be. On the Edge with Georgine Summers airs live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The world we live in has become a crazy place. Poverty is at an all-time high in the wealthiest nation on Earth. We keep calling on government to save us with new programs. And now, we have more people using food stamps than any time in our history. This problem continues to get worse. The answer to poverty is in our homes, churches, and communities, and through our children. Get the answers from The Mickey Ellison Show, Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Indiana Jones Myth Reality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Can you dig it, baby? 
This is Joe Schuldenrein, and we're back with uh, Dr. Owen Doonan of uh, California State University, Northridge, and we are discussing a very uh, instructive pro- project that he is directing and has been directing for, I think, close to 20 years in the Black Sea, uh, southern, southern Black Sea shore, along the southern Black Sea shore on the coast of Turkey, and it's called the Synop Project. Uh, let me ask you, uh, Dr. Doonan, how did it get started, and how did, how did you get the, the community involved, and what is the nature of your interaction with uh, both U.S. And, and Turkish students? How are you getting them all integrated? Well, uh, again, as a as a director of a survey project, really what we do is we go out into the community, we go out into the villages, and uh, and we're looking for uh, you know, sites. We're looking for we're we're, uh, uh, we're we're conducting our survey. We naturally run into people constantly, and uh, and and the, a kind of buzz uh, typically. Uh, starts to uh, well up as we uh, come in and start working in one village or another village, uh, so that so that we're uh, typically uh, people know about us uh, before we're uh, even on the ground and and certainly before we're in their fields, uh, and and then uh, so that over the years we've met hundreds and hundreds of people uh, through the through the actual you know fields that we've been working in and in the villages that we've been working in um then at the same time you know we really do have to work as partners with the local museum there's a museum in sinop a beautiful uh museum of archaeology and another museum of ethnography so there are there are actually um there are actually three uh three active museums in in this small town of about 20,000 people um the so that we work mainly with the archaeology museum but uh, we also work with the ministry of culture there and um uh and and so uh, we we have a lot of uh, points of engagement uh then the second thing is working with the turkish students is is just a natural for me uh as i mentioned in the first segment uh you know i, I kind of started my career out in fact my very first job was that job teaching at bilkent uh, in mm-hmm. Ankara. and so i i i really i loved working with the turkish students Many of my Turkish students from Bilkent are now professors themselves, and so when when I need half a dozen uh, students to come work with me, I, I you know I have quite a rolodex of uh, local professors who are who are ready to send their students along, and it's it's great fun for all of us because uh, of course it's 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 fun for them to send their students on the project that many of them worked on, uh, or certainly that they they. they they were happy to work with me anyway, uh, and uh, and then the you know the it just continues this uh, I think very very nice uh, kind of cycle. Now I, I've always been uh, devoted to the idea of a of a seamless community within the within the project. Uh, we probably have ten different countries uh, people from ten different countries uh, involved uh, in the project in any given summer, uh, but um, but. You know, we we're a team. We're unified by uh, by by a group of interests and and questions that we're trying to answer. Uh, and so, uh, I've always found it very very comfortable to to bring people together. Uh, 
sometimes the language can be a little bit of a problem, but um, with goodwill, a bunch of 20-year-olds seem to get along quite well. Uh, so that's uh, uh, that. Uh, maybe I'm I'm blessed in that regard. But uh, we've we've had very few uh, troubles over the years getting getting people to uh, to to really engage with each other and form friendships and uh, and and uh, you know stay in contact. They they seem to stay in contact for many years too afterwards. So. Uh- have the roles of the various students who've come through the ranks and been involved in the survey aspect of all this, they've changed, I assume. And, and you've, I, I assume you're, um, you start, are you still doing survey work right now or have you moved into excavations? Well, we're, we're moving into excavations. We've, uh, we've applied for an excavation permit for this coming summer. Uh, it's very, very exciting transition for us because we've got hundreds of, uh, hundreds of sites that we've uh, studied over the years. We've got data uh, for all of those, uh, uh, all sort of ready, ready, to, uh, ready to look at uh, together with our excavated data. And, um, and, and so we're, we're looking to start a, a, a dig, uh, hopefully a good uh, 10 or 15-year uh, run uh, starting next summer. Um, so that, uh, that's, that's exciting. Uh, I'm, there's some chance that, uh, some of the, uh, people who started as students who are now colleagues who are now professors in their own right, uh, may, uh, may actually continue parts of the survey. I'd, I'd be very gratified if, uh, if, if it uh, worked out that we, um, that part of the team could continue the the survey even while I'm uh, focusing more on an excavation uh, at the city center. Uh, that uh, that that may well uh, happen uh, too. But uh, we we got to get the dig going first, and then uh, and, and and then we'll see about some of these other things. And you're recruiting also obviously students from your own program. Is that, do you have a graduate program at at Cal State? Uh, we have a graduate program. We have an MA program in, in art history, and we also have uh, uh, an MA program in anthropology. Uh, and uh, most of the most of the archaeologists at uh, Cal State Northridge uh, go into the anthropology program. Uh, that's uh, uh, that's a very uh, very well established, very rich program uh, with a with a very uh, solid history, um, and uh, and and so uh, we we bring our own students. But I also look forward to bringing students from other institutions. Uh, Professor Alexander Bauer at Queens College uh, is uh, uh, is uh, the associate director of the project. He he actually came onto the project as a uh, uh, just after his undergraduate years, uh, before he was starting his PhD at Penn, that was some time ago. I I, I won't tell you how long that was ago, but uh, but now uh, Alex is a uh, professor and uh, has his own graduate students, and and he he's uh, sending some students to the project. We also have another collaborator, uh, Andrew Goldman at Gonzaga. University, uh, who who's uh, planning to send uh, half a dozen or so students. We're planning to have a field school and, and ex- where people can learn how to uh, excavate, among other things, uh, and that uh, so so that we'd have a bunch of undergraduates from these various institutions and others as well uh, coming uh, coming to join us for the field school, and then uh, we uh, we also. Uh, 
as I mentioned before, are, are looking forward to bringing students from different di disciplines together. Uh, we've, we've had a lot of students come from, uh, from different kinds of backgrounds and, and who had very enriching and exciting uh, experiences uh, with us in, in the field. Now, let me ask you a little bit about the research itself, what you're doing, and, and what are you finding? How has your knowledge base expanded over the course of time? Obviously, you've done some very extensive surveys, and from what I understand, you're looking at the relationship between the coastlines and the hinterlands. And tell us a little bit about some of the research themes that you're exploring. Okay, so... Um so the the methodology we use uh, is called systematic survey, and it's a and it's approach it's an approach that has uh, really developed quite effectively in in much of the Mediterranean region, especially areas where there's a lot of land under cultivation, uh, because where where the land is plowed up, uh, big big areas are are, are very easy to uh, it's very easy to see where there might be pottery or stone tools or something like that that sort of pop up uh, in the fields and so as you go from field to field you can record uh, where uh, there are things and where there are not things um, this this approach to archaeology uh, has been incredibly enriching uh, for our understanding of the rural world of antiquity, especially Greco-Roman antiquity. Uh, this, uh, this, this has been sort of a, a complete game changer for the study of the ancient rural economy. Now, uh, for us, we, we're in a bit different place than much of the Mediterranean. If you ever have a chance to, to visit uh, Sinope on Google Earth, you'll see it's very, very green. Uh, uh, yeah, I noticed that. I noticed that. Yeah. So it, it looks um, uh, actually. Uh, I, I have a, a very distinguished colleague who 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 used to compare the Sinope landscape to England with tiny hedgerows and uh, little agricultural fields and rolling hills and just uh, everything emerald green everywhere you look, even in the summertime. So. Uh, so we have very different conditions than uh, than our predominance in in much of the Mediterranean, um, and we've we've had to factor some 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 of that in. So we we don't we don't have quite the same research design as our colleagues uh, that work in uh, in in huge flat brown fields with uh, <laughs> <laughs> with sort of perfect uh, survey conditions. But what we've been able to understand from this now is, uh, for example. Uh, we've been able to start to trace the relationship between indigenous and colonizing cultures, uh, especially Greek-speaking uh, colonists from uh, the west coast of Turkey. The region mm -hmm. is called Ionia. Uh, the city of Sinope, which is the ancient name of Sinope, the city of Sinope was founded by the Milesians. Miletus uh -huh. is famous as the, the home of Greek philosophy and of, uh, of uh, uh, urban planning and many other, many other famous cultural developments uh, come from uh, Miletus. Uh, it's, a, it's a tremendous uh, center in the early years of Greek his history. Anyway, these colonists came, uh, settled in the port of Sinope, but they did not really start to engage the local population for several hundred years. And this is right. quite an interesting uh, 
situation because what, what we understand is that uh, they set up a trade network uh, with other parts of the Black Sea, and they were kind of in a point where they controlled the trade in the maritime theater, but they they were too busy to bother with their local hinterland. Well, right. about 400 BC, then uh, in the in in the hinterlands area where we did our survey, all of a sudden there are sites all over the place, um, and there are a lot of coastal sites uh, that have uh, some uh, some Greek style pottery. Uh, showing up, uh, especially the wine amphoras. So I guess the uh, I, I guess they were they were having uh, nice meet and greet parties on the coast, uh, and uh, and and people uh, then uh, over time this uh, spreads up into the river valleys uh, as well. And this is a pattern not so different from from other areas, uh, say in in France or in Italy, where where similar research has gone on, but it's. Uh, uh, no one's ever had a chance to really get a sense of what that would look like in the uh, in the in the Black Sea and in Turkey. So then, uh, so then this time period is called the Classical period, the Classical Greek time, and uh, uh, and there's a real flourishing of trade and agriculture that lasts uh, about a seven eight hundred years. Um, actually, after the foundation of Constantinople. In the fourth century A.D., uh, there's an incredible explosion of settlement uh, of really what we'd call industrial level agriculture uh, that that really hits a boom time for about three hundred years, uh, and then the bottom dropped out. Right about seven hundred A.D., uh, you see nothing for hundreds of years after that, and uh, that's that's an interesting problem. That uh, that is being worked on uh, by colleagues in in a whole bunch of different uh, contexts. We're we're um, working together with a group at Princeton uh, to study whether or not this uh, might have something to do with a with some climate events and climate change uh, in late antique times. So we will, we'll get back with that in a moment. We have to take a break. Uh, stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. We have our final segment coming up. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Have you learned how to play the money game? There are all kinds of rules when it comes to money. Should I spend it now or save it for the ultimate rainy day? If I make a tiny mistake now, will it really affect everything in the long term? For the answers, tune in to Cultivate Your Financial Health with Wayne Firebaugh. You'll come away from each show with a better understanding of the rules of money and how it sets up your future. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time with a replay Saturdays at 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. It's time to take a new look at some of life's changing moments. 
it's time to listen to an expert who has been there and can provide insight through experience, studies, and enlightening guests. Tune in to Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. Host Lindsay Levinson takes a look at relationships, parenting, health and wellness, divorce, depression, sexuality, philanthropy, and mental health. You'll look at everything you know in a different way. Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets, airs Wednesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com you're listening to indiana jones myth reality and 21st century archaeology with dr joseph schuldenrein to be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Indiana Jones Myth Reality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. This is Joe Schildenrein. We're back with today's episode of Indiana Jones Myth Reality and 21st Century Archaeology. We are looking at a very fascinating project that's taking place on the south shore of the Black Sea. And my guest is Dr. Owen Doonan, who has been the pioneer for a very, very major research and public outreach venture uh, associated with uh, the site of Sinope or the project called Sinope in, uh, as I said before, on the north shore of Turkey on Black Sea. Why don't you tell a little bit, tell us a little bit as as to how our understanding of this very critical part of the world i mean this is this is uh, really one of the major hubs of civilization certainly certainly uh, the modern era the civilization of the modern era certainly from the greeks to the romans and beyond how is your research uh, contributing to the knowledge base for that area, and specifically, what does it tell us about social organization and political organization uh, at the time of the Greeks and the Romans and beyond? Well, the the Black Sea is a very special part of the world, and uh, I know it's difficult on radio to convey this, but uh, if you were to pull up a map of Eurasia, uh, it would be obvious the enormity of of uh, uh, of, of the Eurasian landmass, uh, how uh, uh, how little uh, space uh, Europe actually takes up, even though it exactly. takes up great yeah. space in our in our historical imagination. Um, uh, the Black Sea would be the place where the Middle East, uh, where Europe and where Eurasia come together. And so it's a very, very special part of the world. It's always been uh, a little bit in between, 
typically even in the ages of great empires like the Roman or the Ottoman or the Russian or Hellenistic empires, Persian empire, uh, it's never been a a place that's been controlled completely by any of these famous empires because it it always butts up against great rivals. And so uh, geopolitically, it's incredibly important. Uh, And and, uh, really the reason I chose Sinop or the reason we chose Sinop to to work in was because we we understood that this was a, a key to understanding the Black Sea and that the Black Sea is is really a key to understanding the connection between these different parts of Eurasia. And, and certainly uh, one doesn't need uh, to scratch the surface too deeply looking at the news to understand the, the geopolitical importance uh, of the region uh, these days as, um, as all sorts of, uh, uh, all sorts of uh, problems and uh, challenges uh, uh, develop there. Uh, I think it's really important to understand the long history of the place uh, in, in trying to uh, understand a way forward in, in the modern world. Um, I, I, I think uh, a lot of people are perplexed by the the, the problem of you know, how do we uh, how, how do we deal with uh, the, the the new political uh, situations as they're evolving around the Black Sea and, um, and having an understanding of uh, of this place uh, going back uh, thousands of years I think uh, gives us uh, gives us some important insight. Uh, nobody's ever really been able to control the place, right? Uh, and um, and any attempt to do that is is probably not terribly wise, uh, as as we've seen in the past few months in the Ukrainian situation. Exactly, exactly. So um, so our results uh, really they're the first uh, long term, uh, extensive, uh, systematic uh, kind of landscape oriented project. To, to pull together a database that really uh, helps us to tell the Black Sea story. Um, and, and so that's, uh, that's really what we seek to build. That's why I'm so keen to excavate the port of Sinope, uh, because it's, uh, it's the key to, um, to, to the history of the region as well. It, it's, it's always been a, a kind of linchpin uh, of, uh, of, of uh, maritime connection around the Black Sea. Uh, it's got all sorts of interesting historical characters. Uh, Rome's arch enemy, Mithridates the Great, uh, mm-hmm. taunted the Romans for, uh, for decades, uh, uh, having, uh, having been born in Sinope and uh, making it his, uh, his, his power base for much of his... Um, uh, much of his career, uh, the Romans made it an important uh, military base uh, after they uh, took it in the first century BC. Uh, it became an important place under the Byzantine Empire and in the Ottoman Empire. Even the even the Crimean War was kicked off uh, in uh, November 1853 when uh, the Ottoman fleet was. Uh, staying in Sinop and a surprise attack by the by the Russians uh, was really the the factor that uh, pushed uh, the British and the French uh, to uh, to jump into the um, uh, 
uh, into the Black Sea conflict. And, and so, in a way, it's even the, the home of the Crimean War. And, and that maybe that little um, episode uh, is, uh, is, is for us the, the key to understanding why, why we care. Because uh, these are connected places. Uh, the people around the Black Sea have always been as much a community as they've been connected to the various lands uh, inland from where they live. And, uh, and that, that complexity and the, the richness of, of the cultures, uh, I think, are um, something that uh, we can find not only fascinating, um, certainly the the Scythian culture in the north coast or the the uh, the, the Colchis culture of uh, the Republic of Georgia uh, the various kingdoms in Bulgaria and the, and the uh, Balkans uh, all of these are Black Sea cultures and and mm-hmm. we find they're all coming together uh, in places like Sinope so it's it's uh, it's it's pretty cool. It's at the edge of many things, and it's at the middle of everything. One of the elements that you've mentioned that I certainly find fascinating as a geomorphologist is the changing landscapes. And you have, obviously, a lot of sources of information for documenting changes in the landscape. I'm just wondering, what are you seeing in terms of changing patterns in, uh, let's call it, landscape succession and how the various cultures and groups that lived in this area made adjustments. And what are you seeing? What's, what's really new and exciting in, in the area of human ecology, for lack of a better word? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, of course, uh, part of our, a big part of our research in Sino is uh, devoted to understanding human environmental uh, connections and relationships. And uh, we, we work with a, a team of geomorphologists uh, led by uh, Professor Mark Bessonen at Texas A&M University in Corpus Christi. And, uh, uh, and uh, the, our research uh, into this area has shown some very interesting things. First of all, it, according to the historical sources, the, the first real connection to the hinterland of Sinope seems to have been an interest in timber um, and an interest in, in securing uh, high-quality shipbuilding timber. Uh, the region has been uh, associated with shipbuilding uh, ever since, uh, say, 2,500 years ago. Uh, there are still marvelous places where you can see this uh, industry uh, continuing using the traditional methods just just a little ways down the coast. Mm-hmm. But um, the shipbuilding then, of course, had a tremendous... Uh, what what they were doing is logging along the river uh, banks and and throwing the throwing the logs uh, you know in the springtime down the down the river banks which you can only imagine what impact that had geomorphologically of course uh, <laughs> and then following that uh, we understand that there was um, uh, because of the local microclimate which is sunnier and drier than most of the waterlogged uh, Turkish Black Sea coast, mm-hmm. um, uh, olives grow there. And so it was the one place where you could have uh, successful olive cultivation. That's probably the, uh, the basis for the uh, agricultural uh, industry that I talked about uh, before. And, mm-hmm. 
and and as the uh, as the olives came in and as farming uh, spread, uh, we do see very very dramatic uh, disturbances in the soils um, from the Roman period onward. Uh, very uh, uh, many of the river uh, river deltas uh, uh, experienced very dramatic progradation uh, of uh, uh, based on uh, on this kind of silting uh, because of uh, because of the the farming uh, and so uh, there is a quite a quite a dramatic uh, impact that, that people have had on the place uh, we're we're now working with a with a team from Istanbul Technical University. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my one of my very first students, uh, more than twenty years ago, was uh, uh, Bulent Arakan, who's now a, a professor at Istanbul Technical University, and he's uh, he's interested in modeling uh, the uh, the effects of different kinds of human industries on soil destabilization. And so uh, we're we're excited to be uh, starting to work with him on on some of these things. And so, uh, where do you see the project going? What are your objectives going forward? Well, uh, objective number one is uh, we can, uh, what we're looking to do is understand the very earliest phase of uh, colonization in the Black Sea, uh, mm-hmm. because this, uh, this was a, a sort of watershed event. Uh, what we understand from our research at the site we want to dig at uh, is that there was, even before the Milesian colonists came, there there was a settlement of uh, people from another part of the Black Sea, probably from the north coast, uh, that, that were settled at the at the site of Sinope, that's quite exciting because what it means is that there were these uh, already before the uh, the colonists came in. There there were uh, maritime uh, connections uh, that really hadn't been uh, thought of much uh, in most of the literature. Most most of the historians who study the period think that once the Ionians came in, they taught everybody how to how to sail around and. Uh, and mm. But he was happy. Uh, well, right. it's clear that that's not the story, and that there's a, a really rich story of maritime connections going all the way back to the Bronze Age. Um, so anyway, we we understand this from our site that uh, that there's this early history to maritime interaction that we want to study, and then uh, really exciting uh, the the colony itself um, is almost uh, on top of this uh, this earlier settlement, and so. It's going to be the first opportunity anywhere in the Black Sea region to study that uh, indigenous uh, colonial interface uh, in a direct way. Um, it's very, very uh, exciting possibility. Then the place developed into a major uh, commercial center and political center. Um, uh, it's adorned with a really beautiful uh, Hellenistic period architecture that uh, we hope to uh, uh, we we hope to highlight uh, from the time of Mithridates the Great uh, and, um, uh, and and so as we as we move forward studying this urban center uh, again if we have the opportunity to continue our regional research um, the two will enrich one another uh, tremendously. And I was just gonna, you know, curious as to when a Sinope, say, as an urban center, peaked. Is there? Uh, do you have any notions about that? Hmm. 
I guess there have been a few peaks. Um, certainly, certainly, around the time of Mithridates, it was a uh-huh. there was a peak. Um, there was also a peak in in late Roman times, fifth uh, and and even early Byzantine times, so fifth sixth century. A, uh, CE, right. and then also uh, I think uh, we one of the understudied uh, peaks would be the Seljuk times. Um, in twelve fifteen, uh, the Seljuks took Sinope, and it was a, it was an event of tremendous uh, tremendous uh, strategic importance. Uh, what happened was. Uh, that that by taking the port of Sinope, it was possible to split the Byzantine power base. Uh, the two great Byzantine kingdoms, one was in Constantinople, or Istanbul, and the other was in Trebizond, or Trabzon, uh, in modern uh, the modern name. And so, uh, so what uh, what the Seljuk Turks were able to do was to break through uh, and and separate those two kingdoms from one another. And, uh, and and they they adorned the city with a remarkable collection of beautiful stone buildings that uh, uh, that still stand. There are still well over a dozen decent uh, sized monumental buildings from that period uh, that you can uh, see in the town. And and so um, I suppose that's probably for another conversation though. And on that note, I think we're going to have to wrap it up. Well, this has been fascinating. And I think that a lot of our listenership will be very interested in what you're going to come up with in the ongoing years. I am hopeful that your project will continue. And I thank you for spending this time with us. So thank you so much, Dr. Owen Nguyen. Okay, well, thank you, Joe, for um, for hosting this and for your interest in our project. It's uh, uh, it, It's a real treat to be able to talk with you about this here. And until next time, we will see you, or you will hear from us, certainly, next week. And stay tuned and stay attentive. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.